God, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. God, we thank you for the way that you love us, the way that you pursue us. God, we thank you that there is no burden that we bring before you that is too big for you. God, we thank you for all of the avenues in which you lavish your grace upon us. God, we thank you for the unique role of Sunday morning and how it shapes us and conforms us in the most unique way. So God, I pray over the next couple of moments, God, that you would help us to be shaped by your word, that your spirit would, Lord, just take these words from the Bible and just pound them into our heart. Show us more of who you are. Show us your plan for your people. So God, meet with us here, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, you've heard me say before that right thinking leads to right desiring, which then leads to right living. I believe when you correctly um, think thoughts about God that are correct, that then impacts your desires and impacts your affections, that then impacts how it is that you live your life in obedience. So on Sunday mornings, we talk a lot about the Christian mind, talk a lot about the Christian heart and the Christian hands and feet. But on Sunday mornings, we don't talk a lot about the skeleton of the Christian life, if you will, the, the structure. If you think about a skeleton, if the skeleton is what holds things together, then this morning, I want us to consider what the structure of the Christian life actually is. That the structure, the, the skeleton, is uh, kind of the bowl that keeps the, the soup in from spilling over. And the thing is, you can sort of exercise the Christian mind, heart, and feet and hands somewhat by yourself, but when you consider what the Bible actually says about the structure, what I'm calling kind of the skeleton of the Christian life, you'll find that it necessarily involves other people, and more specifically, it involves other Christians in a formal, authoritative capacity. I believe that Jesus has empowered the congregation and its leaders to live with authority in each other's lives. I believe that that is the skeleton which keeps the whole body healthy. It's what keeps the body from kind of slouching uh, to the floor. And yet, it's very possible and almost popular in today's world for churches to not talk about the skeleton or the structure of the church. It's almost um, something that you don't bring into the pulpit, talking about kind of behind the scenes of the church. And what can take place in those kinds of churches is kind of something what I'll call spiritual osteoporosis. Now, osteoporosis is something that happens with the weakening of the bones, sometimes in the skeleton. And you can actually um, have fractures just by common movement when you have osteoporosis. And I think that can happen uh, inside the church when you neglect talking about this skeleton or the structure of the church. The church starts to move, starts to do things, and without proper attention to the skeleton, it starts to break away. Now, there are several aspects to the skeleton or the structure of the church, like church leadership, church governance, polity. And so this morning, we're just going to talk about one aspect of the skeleton of the church, which is church membership. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to be in verse 17 this morning and then some other places. And what I want to talk about this morning is what it really means to belong to the church, why that matters, and what that looks like here at College Park Fishers. So the Word of God reads this way. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. 
for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is the word of the Lord. As you read that verse, there are probably two questions that pop out. And even as I was um, studying this, I'm I'm thinking, okay, what does this actually mean? These two questions probably are this. First, which leaders are individual Christians supposed to submit to and obey? Right? It says, obey your leaders. Well, which ones? That's question number one. Question number two is, who will pastors, who will I and other elders have to give an account for? Okay, if we're called to shepherd people and we'll have to stand before the Lord and give a specific account, who do I need to shepherd? Who am I actually responsible for? Now, regarding the first question, the scriptures in the New Testament clearly talk about leaders being pastors and elders most of the time. And yet, if there's no understanding of local church membership, then who are we to submit to and obey? Is it any individual with the title elder from any church? Are we to obey and submit ourselves to uh, leaders and pastors and elders from other churches that we don't know or agree with? And regarding the second question, Will I and other pastors and elders, do we have to uh, be responsible and give an account for all of the Christians in Hamilton County? Will I have to give an account based on what other churches do in the pulpit or in their small groups or related to global missions? See, I think that church membership helps address both of those questions from Hebrews 13, 17. I think it helps understand the skeleton and structure of the Christian life. Now, since we'll be talking a lot about church membership, let me give a helpful definition of church membership. This is coming from Jonathan Lehman's book called Church Membership, produced by uh, Nine Marks, and he defines church membership this way. He says, church membership is a formal relationship between a church and a Christian characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's submission to living out his or her discipleship in the context of the church. Okay, now that's helpful, and especially when you apply that understanding to Hebrews 13, 17, you find that church membership is implied in the biblical requirement for Christians to be submitted to a specific group of leaders. That there must be some kind of expressed willingness or commitment or covenant or membership that precedes someone's willingness to submit to a group of leaders. And also, it helps to identify who the elders are responsible to watch over and give an account for. Now this morning, I could talk about the what of church membership till I'm blue in the face, but we work much better with knowing the why behind church membership. So let me just talk about four reasons why church membership is essential. Four reasons why I think you should be a member. And if you're already a member at our church, Hopefully you'll use these as just a reminder, kind of a refresher to kind of renew your understanding of church membership. Here's reason number one. I think church membership is biblical. Church membership is biblical. Now, throughout the book of Acts, you're not going to find uh, a membership class 101. Okay, you're not going to find even the word membership throughout the New Testament, but you don't find the word Trinity throughout the Bible either. And yet you see the concept, you see the practice of the Trinity all throughout the scriptures. And I think, that, I think the same is true with membership. I think you see the practice and the concept throughout the New Testament. Let me give you a couple of examples. When you look at the, the book of Acts in the early church, 
you find that there are leaders who are clearly counting who is in and who is out. That we see that in Acts 2, verses 37 uh, 37 through 47. There is a numerical record of leaders who are counting, who is making a credible profession of faith, who is being baptized, who is being filled with the Holy Spirit. That they're tracking growth. They're tracking kind of members. Acts 2, verses 41 and 47 says this. So those, those who received his word and were baptized... And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When you look at Acts chapter 4, there were 5,000 more that were added. And not just anybody was being counted. Not anybody who was saying, yeah, I'll, I'll do this whole Jesus thing. But these leaders were looking at, is this a credible profession of faith? Have they been baptized? Are they producing evidence of fruit. There are really two requirements for membership when you look at the book of Acts, making a credible profession of faith and baptism. When you get to the book of 1 Corinthians, you see the Apostle Paul who holds no punches in chapter 5. He's talking to the, the church at Corinth there. There was a, an individual who was engaging in unrepentant and blatant sexual immorality and the leaders at Corinth, the, the church, they were doing nothing about that. They weren't exercising church discipline, which is straight from the words of Jesus in Matthew 18. And so in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, Paul actually asked the church to remove this man from among them in the hopes that they would, that this person would repent. When you get to verses 11 and 12, Paul says this, But now I am writing to you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual morality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one? For what, I, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Now, how can you kick someone out if there's no in? If Paul's asking them to remove this guy from the congregation, how can you do that when there's no local community of believers who have made a commitment of faith? How can you perform church discipline in Matthew 18 to remove somebody from the church if they're not officially a part of that church. See, I think we see this concept all throughout the scriptures, this formal relationship between the church and professing believers who have been baptized. And yet, I think it's up to the specific context in a time and place to figure out what that looks like. Again, you're not going to see a membership class 101 You're not going to see a membership booklet like we have here in the early church. And so I think each context and time and place has to figure out what this looks like in their church. So reason number one, I think it's biblical. Reason number two, I believe that membership helps identify who the elders are called to shepherd. I think church membership is implied in the way that the New Testament requires elders to care for their flock in their charge. Now, of course, elders are called to uh, love anyone and everyone, and yet I believe that the Bible tells elders that they have a special responsibility, a special care for a certain group of people, a group of members. I think the way that Paul or Peter talks about this in 1 Peter 5 makes this pretty clear in verses 2 through 3. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to 
the flock. Now that phrase, those in your charge or your portion or your lot, that implies that elders knew whom they were responsible for. This is just another way to talk about membership, that the elders are called to care for the members, encourage the members, and even to hold the members accountable. Now, that word accountability or accountable is a word that we don't like. It's one of those words that kind of makes us like flinch a little bit. And yeah, I don't want you to think about accountability as like this high-handed thing where people are standing over you trying to point out right from wrong from a distance. The way that we see accountability in local church is you have a group of people who are standing right next to you, who's trying to do life with you, who can point out the truth Because when you're knee-deep in the messiness of life, sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes you have blind spots. We all have blind spots. And so when we think about accountability, we think about someone who is lovingly walking alongside you, helping to point out the right path. And you're not going to get that by just coming one hour a week, sitting by the person next to you. You're going to experience that type of accountability through a mutual commitment, It's someone who's saying, look, I'm a professing believer, I've been baptized, can you help me follow Jesus? That's what membership is all about. I think part of the reason why elders are called to shepherd members in this way is because members of a church are what Jonathan Lehman kind of calls a card-carrying Christian. That members who go through a process, their testimony has been heard, it's been validated, they've been baptized, we see evidence of fruit in their life. And so those members now represent who God is and what he is like to the world. They are to live in a way where people at work, people in their neighborhoods look at them and say, okay, that's what the gospel is all about. That's what God is like. And so for elders, we want to make sure that the members of our church are being encouraged, are being cared for, and even being held accountable to make sure that they're representing God to the world in the right way. Jonathan Lehman talks about the role of the church this way. He says, The local church enables the world to look upon the canvas of God's people and see an authentic painting of Christ's love and holiness, not a forgery. And the local church lays down a pathway with guardrails and resting stations for the long journey of the Christian life. We as members are called to display God to the world. And so as elders, we take that seriously. We, we're thinking through, okay, what does that look like to create guardrails or to create kind of a resting station for our members? And so as elders, about 18 months ago, we developed what we're calling kind of a shepherding model where we're thinking, okay, we're taking Hebrews 13, 17 seriously. We're going to give an account based on how we shepherd the members of this church. What does that actually look like with almost 300 members? Like if you ask me, what's one verse that keeps you up at night? It's Hebrews 13, 17, knowing that there's people that I need to shepherd and, and I need to love and, and hold accountable that I'll have to give an account before the Lord. And so with so many members, we're thinking, okay, what does this look like to shepherd? And so our shepherding model has four foundational principles to it. We want to know our members, we want to feed them, we want to lead them, and we want to protect them. No feed, lead, and protect. And so we're thinking, okay, that's helpful, but what does that look like practically? Well, we looked at our members, and we have seen that we've got about 90% of our members who are in small groups. And so we thought, how about leveraging our small groups to help with our shepherding model? 
And so we've actually assigned each elder to oversee about two to four different small groups, and those elders try to contact or meet with those small group leaders almost on a monthly basis to get prayer requests, to know the spiritual condition of that small group, to make sure there are no uh, emergencies or issues that they need to help and, and encourage even some of our elders are uh, you know, coming to these small groups and encouraging them, praying with them, or, or teaching in that small group in some way. And so our shepherding model, which has different um, aspects to it, the gist of it is we want to know you. Like, we want to know the members. We don't want you to think that the elders are just meeting in some mysterious board uh, meeting you know, every month, making decisions. But we want you to be able to identify, who's my elder? If I have a spiritual emergency go to my small group leader, go to my elder, and I know who they are, and they know who I am. A big aspect of, uh, for us, what it means to care for members is we do believe that Sunday mornings is important. We believe that Sunday mornings has a, a, an effect on our relationship with Jesus that uh, almost nothing else has. We take Hebrews 10.25 seriously, where it talks about not neglecting to meet together, and so one way that we try to encourage attendance is through the name tags. If you notice, people are wearing name tags, and that's to encourage people to get to know one another, right? If you know someone's name, hopefully that removes a barrier from talking and, and getting to know others. But the name tags also helps us to identify who's attending and who's not. And so we look at that, and, you know, it's not, oh, someone's missed six weeks in a row. They're going to get a demerit, or they can't have donuts for a month. It's not that at all. But it's like, man, we haven't seen so-and-so for like five, six weeks. Like, have you seen them? And we're like, no, we haven't. And we look at the database, we're like, man, they haven't checked in. Who's their elder? Let's, let's call them and see if they have any needs. And we've done that several times with people who haven't been coming for six, seven weeks. We call them and say, hey, we, we miss you. Like, we've noticed you haven't been coming. Like, do you have any prayer requests? Is there any needs going on in your family? Do, do you need a, a meal to be dropped off? And we've learned that People might be traveling or they're sick or there's some type of, of crisis going on that creates a shepherding uh, moment. And so just to encourage you to print off those name tags, we really care about your attendance. We really care about the gathering of God's people and not neglecting to do that. And so we want to make sure that our shepherding model is caring for the soul of the individual. And so within that, we, just, we don't just care about you showing up on Sundays, but as elders, we talk a lot about engagement level. When you want to ask me, okay, well, how do you know if a church is healthy? It's not just about bucks and butts. It's not about attendance and the finances, okay? It's also about this engagement level where we want our members not just attending and not just giving, but we want them part of a small group and actually serving. That shows us that our members, our people, are taking that next step and they're participating in the fabric of our church, and so part of the reason for membership is we want to make sure that our elders know who to shepherd and who to care for. Number three, another reason for membership is I think membership makes belonging a reality. Makes belonging a reality. Like I think it is so easy, and I, I had this mindset growing up that church is a place that you go to and not a place that you belong to. Like, as a pastor, I hear sometimes talking about membership, someone might respond to me and say, well, I don't need to become a member of a local church. I'm, I'm part of the universal church. I'm part of the capital C church because I'm a Christian. Yeah, I hear that a lot. And my response, sometimes I say this, sometimes I don't, but my response is, well, who has validated your profession of faith? 
Like, who's looked at your life and said, yeah, like, we see evidence of fruit. Like, you've been baptized. Like, yeah, you're, you're a card-carrying Christian because all kinds of people claim to be Christians these days. Like, you watch sports, you watch different celebrities on TV that are claiming the name of Christ. How do you know if they're really a Christian when everybody's claiming the name of Christ? In the same way, like, if I told you that I'm part of the YMCA, love the YMCA, believe in the principles of the YMCA, and I love to work out. If I told you that, and you said, okay, well, which gym are you a part of? Do you have a membership? Which location? And I say, oh, I I don't have a membership at a particular location. I just love the YMCA. I feel feel a part of it. You say, no, you don't belong to the YMCA until you actually have a membership there. See, I think there's, there's something about this commitment, this idea of membership that unlocks the understanding and the experience of what it means to actually belong. Not just hovering on the surface, but taking steps deeper and deeper into the fabric of the church by way of commitment actually opens the door to discovering what community and what belonging is all about. See, one thing that you'll notice, one thing I've noticed in the New Testament, I'm thinking through, okay, how do Christians interact together with the church? What does that look like? One thing that you're going to find is there is no such thing as a Christian who is a lone ranger. There's no one who's just kind of wandering around. But what you'll find are Christians who belong together in this commitment in the local church. You see that in Acts, but you also see that in Ephesians 2. You do Ephesians 2 verse 13, Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, that's an interesting way of putting it. You were far off. Far off from what? Well, of course, far off from God, and you've been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. But the context in chapter 2 is also about being far off from the people of God. And so he says that's why the wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile has been broken down by Christ so that now you can be committed together, you can actually belong together. He says you are actually members of the household of God so that you can grow up together in the fullness of who God actually is. And we think about it that way, where Jesus got up on a cross to die. So yes, our sins are forgiven, but also for him to create this new people, this people of God, so they're committed together, so they belong together as the people of God doing life together. We think, you think to yourself, well, then why wouldn't I want that? Why wouldn't I want to be part of a place where I can actually belong? I think taking steps in that commitment and in that membership actually helps us understand the meaning of belonging. Look, I am a firm believer that each and every one of us has this desire deep down within us to belong somewhere. We, we crave somebody to look us in the eyes and say, you are welcomed here. Like, this is safe. Like, this is family. You belong here. And without commitment, I don't think it's possible to actually belong in a certain place. Because look, when community gets hard, not if, but when, it gets hard and messy and there's sin, if you're not a member, you can just leave. Like you can just find a new, a new church, a new place, and there are no consequences. And yet membership is just such a powerful statement because through membership you are declaring this is family. Like, this is home. This is, 
This is where I belong. So that when community gets messy and hard, I'm not leaving. Like, I'm staying here because I believe community is actually part of my sanctification. Because when you get a group of people together, when you've got leaders who are imperfect, leaders who sin, and a body of believers who sin, like, it gets hard. And yet, if you stay committed, I think in that process, you understand the mystery of what it means to belong to a group of people. So that's the third reason. Number four, this leads to the last one here, is that membership is a practical way to root out self-centeredness and to battle individualism. Okay, now there are all kinds of different benefits for church membership. I mean, you get to vote, you get to be part of, of all of that. But I think this is the one when you think about growing in the likeness of Christ, I think is maybe the most helpful. Because when we think about member or membership, we tend to only think about the benefits that we receive. We think about things that serve us, right? Like when you join a gym, you get the benefit of using that facility. You become a member at Costco, you can shop there, right? Church membership is a little bit different, where you not only have benefits, but church membership is all about what you can give. It's all about um, pouring yourself out on those around you. I think church membership is where you get to live out the principle, we over me. And I think that makes a radical statement about the gospel and about who God actually is. See, we live in a consumer culture where everything is specifically tailored around our needs. It's tailored around our personal preferences. So if your preferences are being met, what we tend to do is we find a new product, find a new job, find a new restaurant, we find a new spouse or a new relationship. That's kind of the culture that we live in. And yet membership is a counter-cultural statement where you are proclaiming, I am committing myself to this group of people, and this group of people is committing themselves to me. That I'm here more for what I can give than what I can actually receive. And when you buy into that principle, like that will radically change your relationship with Jesus, almost more than any other spiritual discipline, when you have that type of posture and that type of mindset. I want you to think about it in terms of, of, um, of a marriage. Let me just use this as an illustration for a moment. When you think about a marriage, there are kind of different aspects of marriage and the way that we understand it. And I think that there are two main ones. One, there's like the institution of marriage, something that um, our culture is understanding less and less. But then I also think that there are the activities of marriage, okay, what the married couple get to enjoy and do together, like marital intimacy, having children, um, sharing a life together, sharing confidences, all those things. The institution of marriage is the covenant that the husband and wife make before God and before witnesses, I think that that is kind of the the skeleton of the relationship. That is the the structure by which the relationship can now build a platform and enjoy all of the activities, okay? Now, one thing that you'll see throughout our culture is our culture loves the activities of marriage, but they don't like the institution of marriage. And yet, something that happens when you fail to understand the institution and live by the institution of marriage is that the benefits can't be experienced the way that God intends. You take away the covenant, you take away that promise before God and other people, and all of the activities and benefits of marriage slowly go away. And I think our world views marriage that way, and I think many Christians view church the same exact way. 
where we love the activities of church, we love the benefits of church, but not church membership, not the, the institution of the church. We like the biblical teaching, we like the worship, we like all of the things that church provides. But when you ask me to submit myself and make a commitment to a body of believers, that's where we get a little bit um, iffy. Because if things get too hard or if they don't meet our needs, we tend to just move on to another place of worship. I believe you've heard me say this before, that church is less of, of a buffet where you get to pick and choose based on your personal preferences. And church in the New Testament feels more like a family meal. And if you part of a bigger family growing up, like you're going to be fed, like you're going to be cared for, but you may not love everything that's placed before you. Like for me growing up, like I did not like uh, my mom's meatloaf. Like she made meatloaf every so, and I would always complain, but my brother loved the meatloaf and I never understood that. I always complained about it. And I wish I could go back and view that as part of my sanctification. Like when meatloaf was, was put before me to not complain and to understand that that meatloaf is actually blessing and encouraging my brother right now. And, and look, I think the same principle is true for church. Like, this is like a family. It's a family meal where you're going to be cared for, you're going to be fed based upon the Word of God, but you may not love everything about the church. You may not love 100% of what goes on here. And that's largely because we're multi-generational. We come from different backgrounds. We have different expectations. We have different preferences. We're at different places in our spiritual maturity. And yet understand this, that something that you may not love or prefer may actually bless or encourage somebody else. And that's, like that idea, that's what I think about when I think about church. Like even as the lead pastor, I don't love 100% of what goes on on Sunday mornings. Like some of it is like, yeah, maybe would want that to be different or that. But I'm, I understand, like that blesses somebody else. And I, as a pastor, have to die to my own preferences at times. And I think church membership provides a great opportunity to be sanctified. It's a great opportunity to understand that church is bigger than just you and our preferences, to work out that we over me principle that I'm here to give more than just receive. I think that's family and that's church. Well, with a couple of minutes that we have left this morning, those are just four reasons for church membership. If you're here today wondering, okay, like I'm sold, like that, that sounds like this next step that I want to take in my journey in following Jesus, and you're looking for some tangible next steps, let me just provide four possible next steps this morning if you're looking for, um, for church membership. Number one, um, come to the, the 101 membership class on March 16th. This is a great step to just get to know uh, more of the structure, more of the skeleton, more of the activities of the church you coming to this does not mean that you're automatically going to become a member. You'll then be interviewed by a staff or an elder to hear your, your testimony and uh, to see if you've been baptized, but um, come to the March 16th class. Second step, if the class is too big of a step, to come to something that we're calling Discover next Sunday during the second service. Um, this is our first attempt at trying to provide a, um, an easier next step from attending to the membership class. And so this Discover class will be a, more of a relational feel of getting to know me, getting to know the vision and kind of the heartbeat behind the church. And then um, option number three is to join a small group and begin serving. Like even if you uh, haven't become a member, but just to get to know more of the church, 
Um, maybe if you've been coming on Sunday morning thinking through, what is this church all about? One of the best things to do is just start serving. Uh, rub shoulders with other people in the church. Ask questions. Get to know the people in community. We don't want to rush people into membership by any means. But we also know that every week that goes by, there's this mindset that gets cemented into our minds that it's okay just to come and consume and leave and not come and give. And so even in your journey of membership, to maybe take that step and participate in one of those avenues. And then the last thing, and this is for members in particular, to participate in what we call covenant member update. Covenant member update is something that we've done a couple of times as a congregation. And we do this because we realize as elders, we ask our members to sign the member confession and also the member covenant. And yet we don't talk about the member covenant a whole lot on Sunday mornings. And so this covenant member update will put that member covenant right before you for you to read, for you to better understand what it means to be part and to belong at a church. And in a moment here, I'm actually going to read the member covenant just to close our time together this morning. But just encourage you, over the next four or five weeks, just to sit down and read the member covenant. Maybe go through it in your small groups. This is a wonderful document that helps explain um, what being a member is all about. And if you're not a member, this is also a great opportunity to step into membership. If you haven't been baptized, to consider taking that step as well. So this is how Covenant Member Update uh, will work. On February 26th, we will be sending out an email or a letter to every member in our congregation on record. And we're going to be asking for a response uh, around three things. It's just a, a short form. should take you about two to three minutes to fill out. But there are three things that we're asking from you. Number one, we're asking if you're still abiding by uh, the member covenant and the member confession and that you're still actually here and to give you an opportunity to update your contact information. Okay, we want to make sure we've got your email, your, uh, your phone number, all those things that are up to date because that's number one. Number two, we're also asking you to upload a personalized photo of yourself so that we can then create a member directory. Okay, it's something that we've been wanting to do for some time. Um, and so if you need help with that, if you're maybe not tech savvy, just contact somebody on staff and we can help walk you through um, that process. So make sure that photo is what you want it to be in the member directory. Okay, it's not from 2001 or anything like that. Uh, number three, the last thing here is this also gives you an opportunity to jot down a prayer request that you want your elder to uh, be praying for you about. Also, to, um, if you've got a question or a comment or a concern, you can put that um, there uh, on the Covenant Member Update. We'll read that and respond to you um, promptly. Okay, so we'll give you about a month or five weeks to be able to respond, and then we'll start following up with people who maybe have forgotten to fill it out or have uh, moved away. And then we'll come back and kind of report at a later member meeting kind of the findings that we have um, discovered. Um, one other thing, there's also going to be a church-wide survey that we're sending out in March. This is not connected to membership or uh, the covenant member update. This is for everybody to um, hopefully to fill out and, um, and, and to give feedback. This will be anonymous. We just want to have a better pulse on the congregation, what we're doing well, what we need to improve on. And uh, so that's coming um, in March. And so my prayer for this covenant member update, I know it sounds, you know, it's the structure, it's the skeleton, it's not the most exciting things in the church, but it really helps us to shepherd well. It helps us to shepherd more effectively, to know who's here, to know your needs, to know prayer requests. And so I'm hoping that this helps strengthen our body, this helps 
cultivate a deeper understanding of what it means to belong to the church. God has been so good to us in these four years. He's given us so many blessings and opportunities, and we just want to be good stewards of what God has given um, to us. So here's the member covenant that I'm going to read um, as we close um, together here. All right, member covenant is this. Having been led by the Holy Spirit to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, and on the public confession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do now in the presence of God and this assembly solemnly and joyfully endeavor to keep the spirit of this covenant as one body in Christ. We purpose, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and love, to promote its fruitfulness and spirituality, to attend its services regularly, to sustain its worship ordinances and doctrines, to submit to its discipline and the authority of its officers, to give it a sacred preeminence over all institutions of human origin, to give faithfully of time and talent in in its activities, to contribute cheerfully and regularly, as God has prospered us to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, to the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel throughout all nations. We also purpose to maintain family and private devotion to the Lord, to train our children according to the word of God, to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances, to walk carefully in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our conduct, to abstain from all activities, habits, and lifestyles that dishonor our Lord Jesus Christ, cause stumbling to a fellow believer, or hinder the gospel witness, to be zealous in our efforts to advance the cause of Christ, our Savior, and to give him preeminence in all things. We further purpose to encourage one another in the blessed hope of our Lord's return, to watch over one another in brotherly love, to remember each other in prayer, to aid each other in sickness and distress, to cultivate Christian sympathy and feelings and courtesy and speech, to to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation. We, moreover, purpose that when we leave this church, we will as soon as possible unite with another church of like faith where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the beauty of the church. God, the beautiful mess sometimes that it is. God, we thank you that you have chosen the church to display the manifold wisdom of yourself to the world. And God, with such a weighty burden, we need your spirit to help us in that. We need one another to be all in. God, to use our gifts and our talents and our resources for the advancement of the gospel so the world can look at College Park Fishers and see who you are clearly. We pray for your help in this. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.